The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Make It Make It Plain. 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 With Poor People's Campaign, the Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II, as always, standing up to Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, Manchinema, for blocking Build Back Better. You heard a lot about that after our demonstration in West Virginia on Sunday. West Virginians came here to D.C. and from other parts of the country as well, Arizona, California, everywhere. And we're going to hear from some of them, including Congressman Jamin Raskin, a good friend and comrade and veteran from the D.C. statehood movement. We've been in that struggle for many, many years together. We're also today going to hear from one of the hunger strikers, eight young people having endured eight days of a hunger strike for climate accountability. They want Joe Biden to keep his promises when it comes to climate. And so here are some of the people we spoke to and heard from yesterday at Moral Witness Wednesday on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Here at the Capitol with my longtime statement comrade, Jamie Raskin. How are you, Jamie? I'm hanging tough. Good, good to see you, Mark. Good to see you. So where are we on the Build Back Better the, the infrastructure, all of that? Well, I think it's going to happen. Uh, the Progressive Caucus has hung tough and said, you know, we're not going to do the infrastructure package without the complete Build Back Better compromise that we're going to come up with, and they got to go together. Um, you know, I think we've learned a lot about Mansion and about cinema at this point, so we, we can't just trust the Senate to do the right thing. We need these to go together. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that we move it this week. And then, of course, we need to move uh, the Freedom to Vote Act, which Manchin has gotten behind. That's good, but uh, we got to stop the gerrymandering before they gerrymander us into oblivion, and we got to protect people's right to vote against all these voter suppression statutes. Um, speaking of which, you are one of our biggest statehood proponents. Yes. It seems to me 
congressman it would be to Manchin's advantage to support statehood because then he could pretty much do whatever he wanted to do. He, we would have two other senators to kind of offset him. He could, from my point of view, roller skate on the ceiling. I mean, it wouldn't make a difference. Why wouldn't he just do that? Well, uh, I mean, right now, Manchin and Cinema are sitting in the catbird seat. I mean, everybody needs to dance to their tune. Um, so that's certainly the reason we need DC statehood, we need Puerto Rican statehood, we need to expand the union um, so we're not on a razor's edge uh, in terms of all the social progress that we need that's being thwarted by the filibuster and by these uh, you know, very thin margins we got. Um, but look, we, we've made great progress on D.C. State. I mean, we've had two House votes now, um, and the Democratic Party, at least, is very strong for statehood. But again, we have just a, a handful of people who are blocking uh, progress. I, I want to, you know, as a congressman from Maryland, I want to thank the people of D.C. who did not come and storm the Capitol and break our windows and beat cops up, even though they have a real political grievance. Then you had tens of thousands of people with an imaginary political grievance out here storming the Capitol, beating the hell out of our police officers and interrupting the counting of electoral college votes for the first time in American history. Um, so that's upside down. But I know the D.C. statehood movement is very much on the side of nonviolent democratic change. But uh, we could certainly turn up the heat, at least, without crossing over to, to Republican violence tactics. And you're on that committee. How are things going? Bannon, he's being held in contempt. What's going to happen? Yeah. Well, look, Bannon spent the entire day, the day before, on January 5, uh, saying that all hell was going to break loose. We're closing in on the target. Uh, you know, America will never be the same. Uh, this was going to be, a, you know, a, a dramatic change, unlike anything anybody seen before. And now refuses to turn over any of his documents or to come and testify to the committee. It's a crime in the District of Columbia. You can't blow off a congressional subpoena. How many people out there think that they would get a subpoena from a court or the U.S. Congress and just not show up? If you want to show up and you want to plead the fifth to certain questions because you think you'll implicate yourself in crime, fine, you've got that right under the Constitution, but you don't have a right to just give the finger to the U.S. Congress. So we're dealing with a, a really lawless movement and unfortunately political party that's positioned itself outside of the constitutional order attacking our elections, attacking our rule of law, attacking our constitutional process. So democracy is on the line right now. Lastly, you're here today to stand with the Poor People's Campaign. Yes, very, very much so. Uh, you know, I love what Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign are doing to put the focus on the real problems of the country. And either government is going to be an instrument for the common good and for moving things forward for America, or it's going to be, like with Donald Trump, an instrument of private self-enrichment and money-making for a handful of people. The choice is ours. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Here with my good friend in the ministry from the American Baptist Home Mission Societies, Dr. Jeffrey Hagray. Reverend Jeffrey, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing great, my brother. Good to see you always. Good to see you, too. What brings you out here today to stand with the Poor People's Campaign? Well, I'm here to stand with the Poor People's Campaign because this movement, uh, I feel, is one of the most important movements happening in our nation today. Uh, we have important legislation before our Congress. Uh, 
asking for just three point three million three trillion dollars uh, that can radically improve the infrastructure in our nation involving everyday people in America and that needs to happen uh, it's being obstructed uh, by lobbyists uh, by conservative uh, members of our Congress who call themselves moderate but they're really conservatives uh, but too much is at stake uh, the, the lives of folks health care education uh, families children uh, poverty uh, every uh, measure uh, for quality of life is, is at stake today yeah. how important is it that clergy get involved in this movement it's critically important uh, uh, we have a responsibility to work on behalf of uh, of abundant life of justice uh, and uh, well-being equality equity for all people and uh, you know, ultimately we serve a God who is concerned for the welfare of all people and the well-being of all people. This is one of those times to translate the good religion of our head and hearts to our hands and feet. Uh, to let those who are in power know uh, that we are uh, on the front lines of these issues. Uh, and while what we do inside our church houses matters as an important, uh, it's also critically important that we let elected officials know responsibilities to serve. Thank you, Reverend Jeffrey. Right. Good okay. to see you, brother. Always, always good to see you, my brother. Yeah, yeah. Folks here today for Moral Witness Wednesday is the Black Political Empowerment Project out of Pittsburgh. And they're pretty much organizing the Poor People's Campaign in Pittsburgh. We have our brother, Walt Hills, whom we know. We're just meeting our brother, Roy Blankenship. Welcome, brothers. How you both doing? How you doing? Doing fine. How was, how was the trip from Pittsburgh? It was, it, it was not eventful. It was <laughs> non-eventful. It's good. You all came yes. on the bus. Yes, oh, that's right. Yes. All uneventful. So, brother, tell us about BPIP, the Black Political Empowerment Project in Pittsburgh. What y'all doing? Okay, the Black Political Empowerment. Our, our mission statement is to make sure African Americans vote in each and every election. That's and, right. And that was the, the, the organization started in 1986. Okay. Uh, we all know that our city's experienced a lot of low African-American turnout at the polls. Low African-American turnout at the polls equals less of your own participation less and involvement power. in the system. Less power. Yes. And uh, well, what's your role in this? What are you up to? Well, I, I've helped up in a whole range of things, poll monitoring, uh, registration, etc. But my main focus has been uh, lay coordinator for ministers uh, for religious institutions in the region. And we're looking at extending that with some additional approaches, particularly a new media approach to try to stimulate uh, more direct action and actually to try to tie the vote, the vote to actual personal experience. Mm. And so uh, that's coming along fine. We've just rolling it out and we hope to see it uh, you know charge forward yeah i wanted to add on to what walt was saying also bpep is dealing with a lot of civic engagement we want to do with voter education right now most people in communities they understand they're supposed to go out and vote but they need to know the positions that they're voting for and how it ties into their daily lives the smaller elections do matter well so we do involve ourselves for example in uh, from the aspect of uh, the actual uh, voting locations, the polling locations, the election judges, yes. uh, following through on the procedures that are being used uh, with regards to the post office, how slow it's moving, how fast it's moving, so we can alert people to what's going on. Uh, last year, of course, there were, it was an extreme, we were rolling over, so our job was to focus on that and help people understand how to vote. 
and how to plan the vote. Yeah. Let me ask you this last question. Um, in Pittsburgh or in Pennsylvania in general, are you all dealing with redistricting issues or yes. gerrymandering? Yes, gerrymandering like is a big issue, uh, and, and, and it's all over the United States. Uh, what we are doing, we're partnering with the League of Women Voters, uh, Veeam. Uh, there's various other voting and um, civic engagement organizations that BPAP are partnering with. So we're, we're tackling the issues. We've just had an event, uh, I think that was October 2nd, in Baker Square, which was considered a gentrified area. But a lot of the people that live there, actually the new residents, they were uh, opposed to gerrymandering. So this is something that I think that if we all as organizations work together, share information, unify ourselves in, in these, these information gathering processes and sharing processes, I think we will be able to effectuate change the way we need to see it in a non-violent manner. And, and one thing to look out for next year and the coming years is that the Assembly, the Pennsylvania Assembly, is looking to have constitutional amendments to get around the government. So if we, depending upon which governor we have, and of course BPEP is nonpartisan, but people should know that the, uh, con these constitutional amendments will either restrict or free up uh, the governor. What they're looking at doing uh, next year, quite possibly, certainly in 2023, let me correct this. Next year, they're possibly looking at gerrymandering the courts mm. through a constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. In 2023, they will be looking at uh, actually creating a, um, a voter ID law or voter ID structure that is quite onerous. And they're going to use, again, the uh, Constitution, excuse me, the Pennsylvania constitutional amendment uh, to do that. When they do constitutional amendments, they work themselves around the governor. So the governor's out of it. Yeah. And it becomes law purely uh, because of the assembly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, you've got a Senate race in Pennsylvania too. Yes. And a possibility for a pickup for the Democrats, right? Oh, it's, it's absolutely uh, fascinating. I mean, when you look at Wisconsin, Ohio, right. Pennsylvania, and you drop down to Georgia, uh, you know, Warnock is in danger because of the voter suppression right, down there. Right. And so one way of balancing that, obviously, would be a change in uh, who is senator next year. And so there's going to be a lot of focus put on that. And uh, if Warnock stays in, if we pick, if there's changes in Ohio, if there's changes in Wisconsin, you might find situations like Manchin no longer being, right, uh, right. you know, consequential. Okay. Walt Hales, we're a blanking ship, a black political empowerment project. Thank you, brothers. Hey, yes. thank, you. Appreciate today. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. To our nation. Amen. We are uh, here in front of the Supreme Court. Four people's moral witness yeah. Wednesday. Colleen is here from Arizona, and I hear that Kirsten Sinema is your favorite senator, right? This is not true. <laughs> quite disappointed these days. T tell us in your own words as an Arizonan why you're disappointed. Uh, I feel like there are pieces of this plan um, that when I look around my apartment complex, I'm like, everybody in this building has something at stake in this plan. You cut one piece, you're cutting somebody. You're cutting somebody in my building. Uh, and, you know, I, I depend on the child tax credits. That's, 
that makes a really big difference. All that goes to childcare for my three-year-old. I have a lot at stake in there being universal pre-K. I need that, I need that now. I need that to be in place for my kid. Um, it makes a huge difference for me. I got three kids, uh, two are in public school. They go to Madison schools. Um, and my third, you know, we, we, we need that pre-K to be ready, be ready for and be good quality education for her. And those are all important to me, but, but everybody around me has, a, has something at stake. You cut something out of this, you're cutting somebody. And it's the line for a lot of us, it's the line between making rent and not. It's the line between, between being able to put things together and afford to live. And um, you know, a huge number of voters in Arizona are low-income voters. And the reports show that, in particularly in Arizona, when the margin, the the victory margin was was so thin, um, and our voting rights are under attack, almost 40% of voters in Arizona were low-income voters. And that's a huge number. And so then to just throw us out of this bill, when 40% of low-income voters, you know, turned out for the election, it just doesn't make any sense. And it makes me mad. It makes me, it's, it's why I'm here today. It's why I'm taking part. It's why I've got this letter to deliver. To deliver. I'm here with Joan. We're here to say that, that nothing can come out of this bill without really hurting, hurting us and hurting everybody that are around us, our neighbors, and our fellow Arizonians. Um, we're taking a letter to the, to the Hearts in the Office building to deliver to her. Yeah. Uh, any idea what happened to her? I mean, she was elected by Democrats, she was elected by progressives. Do we know what happened? No idea. I don't know. I'd like to talk to her about that. So maybe that's one of the questions I could ask. Is where, where, is, where is she on this and those who voted for us leaving us, leaving us empty promises on what, what we were voting for and what, what we're getting at? Thank you, Colleen. Ladies and gentlemen, we just heard from Colleen from Arizona. And now we're going to hear what happened. You'll hear what happened. When Colleen and Joan from Arizona and others from West Virginia tried to hand deliver a letter to their senators, Manchin and Cinema, Manchinema, at the Hart Senate Office Building, you will hear what happened in their exchange with the Capitol Police. I mean, I, I pray for the Capitol Police. I'm sorry for what happened to them January 6th, but. Uh, they weren't this prohibitive of the insurrectionists on January 6th as they were prohibitive of those simply trying to deliver a letter. Take a listen. You can call them, that's up to you guys. But you can't deliver any mail. We talked to Officer Lively and said that at least the three people could go attempt to deliver it. Don't close the public. Don't close. Alright guys, you guys guys can't block the entrance. Okay. That's fine, yeah, you can't block the entrance, but you can't deliver that's policy. Can't deliver any mail. Okay. Well, yeah, I thought we were trying to be as transparent as possible to not make a scene or anything. I understand that, but yeah. yeah. Uh, policy is you got you got to put in the post office, let them deliver it. Okay. You can't even uh, leave it somewhere with on no, the front desk. Absolutely not. Okay. 
clarification, if you don't mind. But for, for, for just so we're on the same page, are we hearing that constituents cannot enter the Hart Building right now? Always closed to the public, guys. It's commercial staff only, members of Congress only. The building is closed. Cannot go inside. All right. All right. And so, can the folks just turn around and, and look in the uh, Eric and tell who yeah. you are, so at least we can yeah. tell everyone They're not picking up. So, everyone is delivering a letter. If you can walk in. Senator Mary, what you're doing is to the camera. Trying to call Mansion's office again. Will you introduce yourself as well? I'm Matt Kerner. I'm with Poor People's Campaign in West Virginia. And where do you live in West Virginia? I live in Buchanan, West Virginia. And what do you think about uh, what Senator Manchin is doing and why are you here with trying to deliver this letter? Uh, actually, I'm incredibly disappointed in Senator Manchin. Um, I actually spoke with him in 2018, two days after the election, or the, the primary. He said he wasn't going to run anymore, but it, it, you know, obviously that has changed. He is harming his own constituents. He's not listening to us. Uh, these bills that we're here to talk about are polling in the high 80% across this political spectrum. Everybody supports the provisions of these bills, and for some reason he's still refusing to pass them. It's going to do tremendous harm. And we already have the poorest state in the country. And uh, over 40% of the people in West Virginia live in poverty. Almost half of our children are food insecure. These bills would help alleviate that. Um, you know, obviously, we've got issues with him and his connection to the coal industry. Um, you know, the first thing he wanted to take out of this legislation was the climate provisions. And uh, it, it's completely self-serving for, for him to support that. I mean, it, it's killing our planet, it's giving us stating our state. Coal is the third largest industry in West Virginia. Everybody thinks it's first. Second is forest products, first is tourism. But wealth gets concentrated in the coal industry so that a few people end up with all the money, most of them live out of state, and they can buy legislators. I mean, when you have people like Don Blankenship taking a Supreme Court justice on vacation to Monaco as he has lawsuits headed toward the Supreme Court is immoral. It's unconscionable. And Kaylin, will you introduce yourself and say what, what you just heard? So my name is Kaylin Barker. I'm from Charleston, West Virginia. And I've called Senator Manchin's office three times since they've been standing here. And they've now shut their phones off and it goes straight to voicemail. All right. Well, it says something about the constituents and, and what power they have. Hi, uh, I'm Jean Evans-Moore, and I am one of the tribe chairs of the West Virginia Poor People's Campaign. I fit in all those categories that everybody else has been in. I've been there. I am now a senior citizen. I am here to speak for what should be happening with children, with kids, with grandkids. Definitely that tax money should be coming to parents who are working. In fact, parents who aren't working need money, too. Some things just don't make a lot of sense to me. And also, one of the things that I, I moved back to West Virginia after retiring. I did like lots of people will do. We come back home. I came back and found out it, how it functioned, how things were functioning were not related to what my expectations were. I am disappointed in Mansion, and I intend to do all I can to make sure 
he does not get the opportunity to do this to anybody else. And I know he plans to run for office. That's why he changed his bill. So we will make sure that that letter gets delivered. We have some sisters here from Arizona who can introduce themselves, say why they're here. We will then commit ourselves to making sure that these letters are delivered and, and our voices are heard. I am Colleen Wesley McCoy, and I've been trying to call my senator, Kristen Sinema. Uh, and I keep getting not just voicemail, but a full voicemail box. And so I not only can I not get into the building, but I can't leave a message or talk to anybody and say that I'm here. I'm here with Joan. you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Joan Steed from Arizona. We're here to deliver a letter just asking for some basics, like do your job and try to listen to the people. And we're being turned away, but we're not being stopped. We're just being turned away for now. And we'll keep trying. We're trying to do what's right for the American people, and we will continue. Saying, Our office is open from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily, and you can leave a message here. And then it's about to tell me that the voicemail is over. This is very disappointing. We came here in good faith, and, and we are still going to keep trying. And as we're here from the song behind us, you're going to let no system walk all over us. We are committed in the Poor People's Campaign from Arizona to West Virginia to making our voices heard. People have been hurting our people for far too long. We won't be silent anymore. And we are committed to getting these letters, but then mostly getting the stories and the solutions coming out of our communities into the voices, into the, the ears of our elected officials, telling them to serve the people, invest in the people, and not the interests of the greedy and corporations. So uh, it's been powerful to be here with folks from Arizona and West Virginia from all over the country as a part of this Witness Wednesday. Um, we thank everyone that's uh, part of the Poor People's Campaign and signing in to this. Uh, please keep those calls up. Uh, if, if we weren't powerful, they wouldn't be shutting the phone lines down and making the voices, the voicemail full. Um, that, that's a sign not of weakness, but of strength, and we will keep organizing and keep mobilizing, keep registering, and keep engaging people until we can lift this load of poverty and racism and, and build back better and even more. So we, here we are. Reverend Liz, what's next since they won't accept the letter? Are we going to mail them? What are we going to do? We're going to mail these letters and, uh, and, and make sure that we're also going to email them. We're going to certify mail them and, and make sure right, that they... We're not going anywhere. We'll be back. We'll be back. Oh, what is so sad that they wouldn't even let you in to deliver a letter when you're their constituent? Close to the public. But what does that tell you? Yeah. They have predetermined outcomes for this legislation that they really don't care. Us being here should give Joe Manchin a way out of the corner he's painted himself into. All he has to do is say, I heard my people talking and I did what they wanted. So if he runs again, I mean, if you're a politician, how could that not be the right thing to do? And he's not doing it. He, there, there's self-interest. There's other hidden interests. Something has to be happening for him to ignore the will of 80-some percent of the people of West Virginia to do what he thinks is best. It's arrogance for him to say, no, there's 98 other senators that all believe in this, but I'm smarter than them. I know more than them. What does it say about the importance of the campaign? Lastly, folks, spoke with one of the hunger strikers in front of the White House yesterday. Eight days on a hunger strike. This would be the ninth day today, Thursday, 
a poignant experience that I think you'll agree speaks for itself. Please take a listen. Folks, we're out here in front of the White House with the hunger strikers. Eight days. Paul is one of the hunger strikers. Paul, you've been out here all eight days. That's correct. Where you from, man? Uh, my name is Paul Campion. I'm 24 years old, and I'm from Chicago, Illinois. What inspired you to do something so courageous and, and honestly health and life-threatening? Yeah. yeah, today the doctors were telling me that my pulse is starting to get really low, and they're pretty concerned about the implications for my heart's functioning. Um, so this has been a, a hard hunger strike. Um, and we didn't come to the decision to do a hunger strike lightly. For the past three years, I've been organizing. We've hosted town halls, we've hosted actions, we've blockaded the White House, we've canvassed, we've phone banked. We've organized our communities, and, and really, at this point in the, in, in the process, we felt like we needed to do all that we could to win um, all that we can and to hold Joe Biden to his climate justice promises. And so um, a few of us were talking about what, what could we do in these final few days to, to make a difference and really um, give it our all and our best. And um, that's when we began, began discerning the hunger strike. And, and a few days later, we all came to D.C. and we got together a support team and, and we started. And that was uh, you know, two weekends ago. So has the White House responded or acknowledged what you're doing in any way? Yeah, so in the park we talked with Ali Zaidi, who's a Deputy National Climate Advisor. On a call I spoke with John Kerry and Gina McCarthy. Um, and then just uh, an hour ago, Jen Psaki, the spokesperson for the White House, responded to a reporter's question about us. And it really seems like all they have is admiration and general sense of agreement. And we're here to demand that they deliver on their promises and turn those that admiration and that agreement is mighty cheap um, into real action and into real policy and to, to really deliver the, the, the changes that we need to reach their own goals of cutting emissions in half by 2030. Politicians are good at cordiality and being polite, but you're right, not delivering. And that's what you want them to do, right? Yeah. And that's what not only me, but the vast majority of the American people and everybody's life and livelihood is on the line here. The climate crisis impacts me. I have a dream. I want to have kids. I want to be able to play in the park with them without floods and fires and heat waves. And I want to be able to, you know, invite my friends and family over for community dinner and, and eat together and, and sing together. Um, and, and I feel nervous and scared about my neighbors who... Uh, sometimes I help kind of sweep up the, the leaves in the, in the street who are older, and they're, they're nervous when it gets really hot during the heat waves. They might die in their own homes. And so, really, so many lives are on the line. Already so many people have drowned in their apartments, have lost their homes, have lost their loved ones. And so, really, we're all clamoring. We're all hungry for justice here, and we need Biden to deliver. What's the plan? We're insanity. going on nine days. What are you guys going to do? How far are you going to go? It's a great question. And honestly, we're taking it one day at a time. This is an indefinite hunger strike. And we're here 
to demand that Biden deliver on his promises and remind him of the commitments that he's made. And um, I don't know how long this goes or how this exactly ends. And I certainly hope it ends, you know, today or tomorrow. They come through, they make it happen, they deliver, and then we, we get to eat some dinner. And I, you know, I've been dreaming about dinner for the past few days. But really, I'm not hopeful. I've been seeing Joe Biden acquiesce to Joe Manchin and his coal money and, and, and fossil fuel donors and has gut the Clean Electricity Performance Program. He's threatening to take away the methane emissions fee. Um, he's failing to include in the bill removing fossil fuel subsidies. So these are some of the core things that he committed to and, and that he's in this negotiation process walking back on. And without that, I don't know what it's going to take. He might need to start stepping it up um, in other aspects and use the full powers of the presidency to end, you know, uh, drilling on, on, on federal lands, which is one of the things he's promised. Uh, it might be that, you know, he needs to end crude oil exports. He needs to stop Line 3, a pipeline that indigenous people and people of faith and Minnesotans have been clamoring and asking him and demanding that he use his federal power to stop. And so, really, Joe Biden needs to show that he's got uh, the, the courage to, to actually follow through on the things that he's outlined that he uh, will do for himself and for all of us, because we all have so much to gain from uh, the United States tackling the climate crisis instead of just talking about it. Fasting for many of us is spiritual. Mm -hmm. Are you dealing with this spiritually as well? Big time. So I grew up in a Catholic household, and I've got my cross here. And um, the first times I you know learned about fasting, um, was seeing my dad fast for Ash Wednesday, entering a season of reflecting on mm. how he was gonna, you know, live in such a way where he was making the world a more loving place through his actions. And I remember reading the stories about Jesus in the desert. And um, yeah, so that's kind of my, it, before this, I've, I've fasted for one day at a time for faith and um, the values of just really, what does it mean to, to live in such a way that Love ought to show itself more in deeds than in words. I try to live that, and I'm trying to do that here, and I'm trying to call on Joe Biden to do that too. Paul, we're praying for you. Thank you for your courage. Hang in there, brother. You know, and it's it's, it's going to be all right. But what you're doing is very very courageous. I'm a I was a protege of Dick Gregory, and we did that a lot. So this is truly a form of nonviolent direct action. Okay, brother. Thank, Thank you, you so man. much. Appreciate Peace. You. Be well. Prayers back to you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Make It Plain. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.